hello out there and welcome to the 73rd episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. And boy, do we have a lot to discuss today. Thanks to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals June 3rd ruling uh, that rescinded labels for three Dicamba products. Uh, and certainly then all of the following confusion and decisions that, uh, that have been popping up here over the last few days. This is Jim Stedman. I'm senior editor of Cotton Grower. And as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower editor Frank Giles. Frank, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure I've ever seen a story that seemingly came out of nowhere create so much confusion on so many levels in such a short period of time. Yeah, and that story came out right in the middle of a, a lot of uh, growers' weed control window. So I know that was, there was a lot of angst and confusion about it. I had a uh, conversation with a cotton grower uh, in Georgia, a buddy of mine, uh, last week, and he actually sent me a text, and he's like, what's up with all this? And uh, I'm sure now, you know, with recent develop developments, he probably feels a little better than he did this time last week. He had he had purchased uh, his dicamba the, the week before, so I'm, I'm guessing his spirits are a little better than they were this time a week ago. Yeah, he's probably sleeping a little bit better. Exactly. Slept a little bit better last night, at least. <laughs> exactly. And everything, but we'll we'll get into all those details as as uh, once we once we move down into the, our discussion segment. But right now, uh, before we get started on that, obviously we need to kick things off with a short message from our sponsor, Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. Okay, a big thank you again to the folks at Phytogen for sponsoring the Cotton Companion podcast. And before Frank and I get started with our discussions and the latest cotton news, we're going to turn things over to our colleague Robin Sickberg for a custom content interview with our good friend, Dr. Ken Leger, who is Phytogen's cotton development specialist in West Texas and Oklahoma. Hello, I'm Robin Sickberg, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. And my guest on the program today is Dr. Ken Leger, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist in West Texas and Oklahoma. Welcome to the program, Ken. Good to be here. Well, I know the 2020 planting season is wrapping up around the cotton belt. And what, what have you seen so far as you've talked to growers? Well, it has been a very interesting uh, planting season here in West Texas and in the Southwest Plains area. We did have a really warm early May. The first week of May was really warm. Then, as predicted, it got cool right afterwards, so we did see a little bit of those early crops get hurt by some cold damage, but really about half of our crop was uh, planted that last full week of May and really went into warm temperatures. Uh, the challenge has really been moisture, so we've had good subsoil moisture, but surface moisture has been lacking, so uh, what we've seen are, are pivots are, are looking pretty good uh, because they can get the, the moisture to the surface. Drip fields, on the other hand, some of those are struggling because we simply can't push enough water up to the surface. And uh, so th those have had, had a challenge and certainly dry land stand establishment has been very challenging. Uh, we have had uh, quite a few growers share with us that uh, in those tough conditions, some of the, uh, the only cotton that has achieved stand for them is their phytogen cotton because of that excellent early season vigor that we display um, made it through those challenging conditions. So that was great feedback from those growers and really something that really doesn't surprise us very much. Excellent. Well, it wouldn't be spring if there wasn't some challenge growers had to deal with, right? That's right. 
So what what your growers think about as they go into June and July? Certainly June and July, it's weed control season. So the, the good news there is we saw a lot of uh, residual herbicides applied uh, pre-plant and some at planting. And so growers, by and large, started clean, just as we recommend they do. Uh, but uh, weeds do uh, tend to grow even in those tough conditions. So we are seeing some flushes and uh, first applications over the top are going out in some of the early planted cotton. So we're, we're beginning to remind growers that uh, to follow the enlist herbicide labels and think about wind direction, wind speed, um, where your susceptible crops are, boom height, just some general reminders to avoid any off-target movement and to achieve good weed control. So uh, that's what we're facing here in June to July, and we're looking forward to see how the rest of the season plays out. Well, good. Got to wrap up the program now, but I want to say thank you for being on it with us uh, this morning. And where can growers go to get more information? Best place is phytogen.com. All right. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Robin. And, and thank you, Ken, for that interview. Uh, so we're just going to we're just going to jump in on this, Frank, because uh, there's really no use. We can't ignore the elephant in the room any longer. Uh, regarding this vacating of the registration for Extendamax and Fexapan and Ingenia herbicides uh, that came down on June 3rd, and the subsequent clarification that uh, we got from EPA for temporary use through July 31st. Uh, we've sifted through a lot of information nationally and, and related more specifically to cotton over the past few days. And I want to provide some additional perspective on the topic. Uh, I'd, I'd like to welcome our colleague, Jackie Pucci, who is senior writer for CropLife, Precision Ag Professional, and Agribusiness Global magazines, all of which are sister publications to Cotton Grower. I'd like to bring Jackie in for this discussion as well. Jackie, welcome to the Cotton Companion. Hi, Jim. Thanks. Now, of all of our colleagues at, at Meister Media, you've been covering the Dicamba products since their initial registration in 2018, and you've kind of become, in my opinion at least, our expert on all things Dicamba in all geographies. Uh, can you give us just a quick recap of the past week? Was was this something the industry saw coming or was everybody kind of blindsided uh, by it, especially considering the time of year? I think they were blindsided is uh, what I've gathered from it. So yeah, it took, <clears throat> it took EPA five days to issue the label cancellation after the court's ruling mm -hmm. on Friday. So they didn't issue the label cancellation until last night. Mass confusion in the industry about what that meant because there was no guidance from EPA. So the states had different interpretations with most of them saying that um, they were gonna continue allowing the sale distribution and use of dicamba without that a label cancellation from the EPA. Only two states, um, halted sales immediately, which were the states were Illinois and South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And Illinois law states that the label is tied to the federal label, the federal registration. So we are unsure right now whether with EPA allowing use of existing stocks 
if Illinois will be also allowing that. Mm -hmm. So I know that right now, Gene Payne, the president of the Illinois Fertilizer and Chemical Association, is on a call with Illinois Department of Agriculture, you know, gaining some more clarity on whether growers and commercial applicators can use existing stocks in the number one producing, uh, producing state in the nation. It's been a whirlwind, really. Mm-hmm. I think the people are relieved that they can use the existing stocks. EPA said there's a, approximately 4 million gallons of dicamba right now in the channel. So at least this year they should be set on that. But, you know, all for, for 2021, we don't know yet. Um, I know that BSF and Bayer have both said they're going to pursue re-registration of dicamba products for next year. And Bayer has call with media today, later today, um, to give us more details. Well, I, I knew the registration, initial registration ended this year, so it was going to have to go through re-registration anyway. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the impact of, uh, of all of this, this legal action has on that. Uh, Frank, I know you talked with, uh, with a couple of consultants when that court ruling came out last week, and, and obviously a, a great deal of deep concern about how growers are going to be able to finish out the crop year. What did, what did you hear? Yes, yeah, specifically, I had a good conversation with Wes Briggs down in southwest Georgia. You know, and at the time we talked, you know, there was no uh, clarity on what what the what the outcome would be. Uh, I think we talked on Thursday. Uh, that would have been the fourth. And you know, his big concern was if these growers in Georgia had to switch on a dime, primarily to glufosinate or Liberty herbicide that there would not be enough in the system to, you know, support that. Um, and, you know, on top of that, he was saying, if we can't get this product applied in a timely manner, these Georgia growers and growers across the belt have spent an awful lot of money in the past, you know, four or five years to try to get a, get control of this pigweed problem in their, in their fields. And he said that by and large growers have done a good job doing that. And, you know, it's always a battle, always a struggle keeping up with pigweed, especially when you throw in a resistance problem like they have in Georgia and elsewhere. So, you know, he was afraid that uh, all of that work would, could be lost in one year if, if we had a bunch of pigweed escapes because they could, didn't have the ability to, to have an effective control program. Um, so, you know, that would have been an awful lot of money wasted if that pigweed got away again and, and repopulated in those fields. And we all know how many, what is the count, like 60,000 seed or 100,000 seed per plant. There's some. It's way too many is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's an ungodly amount per plant. So just imagine that spread out across fields. So he, he sent me that. Uh, text with that order last night so I'm guessing he feels a little bit better but I'm sure there's going to be some growers that are still put in somewhat of a bind if they don't have uh, products on hand. I think so now you you were at a, a session yesterday I believe with uh, Secretary of Ag Purdue and, and didn't he have some comments? Yes I had the opportunity to see Secretary Purdue uh, just recently he was in Orlando to uh, tour a vertical farm and then went down to Lakeland to uh, see some growers who were participating in the uh, produce box program. And uh, I did have the opportunity to ask him 
about CFAP payments and the dicamba ruling mm -hmm. during a press availability in Orlando. Uh, as he was speaking, you'll note at the end, he noted, he said he was hoping that EPA would take action. Well, in fact, uh, that night after we spoke, they did. So I'm sure he is happy that that, that occurred and hope there'll be more progress on this as we move forward. Here's what Secretary Perdue had to say. CFAP applications began on May the 26th. Those that have damages on price, uh, damages more than 5%, and then uh, obviously destruction of whether it's milk or meat or uh, eggs or uh, vegetables and produce can go to their FSA office and apply. And uh, I think uh, checks have already been issued on some that have uh, um, validated their, their loss in that way. So they're flowing out there. The applications will go through about the end of August, the 26th of August, in that way. The DICAMBA, I think, is an unfortunate uh, uh, decision with the Ninth Circuit. Uh, many times when uh, these things are challenged, we're challenged in the Ninth Circuit. It has a serious uh, effect over production agriculture uh, in the conventional farming techniques uh, overall. The... Uh, uh, from an innovation standpoint, the genetics have been matched with uh, crop production chemicals in order to do that. So uh, we hope that it does not prevail long term and that uh, it can be reversed. We're, we have uh, uh, appealed to the EPA to go ahead and allow could, uh, people who had purchased that this year, planted crops that are going to use that, to be able to do that in the stock that they have while we can uh, uh, hopefully resolve some of the challenges there with that. Uh, vacation up the camp. Okay. Uh, that's great. That's good information and, and certainly appreciate the secretary taking time to, uh, to visit with you on that. I guess what we need to do right now is just kind of take a quick look at what the EPA order that came in last night really means. Uh, and Jackie, please jump in on this if I'm misinterpreting this in, in any way. Uh, the order it basically addresses the sale, distribution, and use of existing stocks of Extendamax, Fexapan, Genia. Uh, as I understand it, Tavium uh, herbicide from Syngenta is not included in this. It was not part of that court ruling because it wasn't yet registered when EPA granted the reapproval of the conditional registration for Dicamba uh, a couple years ago. Is that, that's correct, correct? Yes, although the availability of Tavium not sure how much there is of that. Apparently, not very much in the you know for growers to want to switch over or yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and we know Tavium has a cotton label and 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 some usage on its label for for cotton, but it's not something that's basically been talked about a lot in the market. So, but I'm sure a lot of people are suddenly shifting and pivoting to take a look and see what uh, what their options might be on that. But anyway, according to the EPA order. Uh, distribution or sale by any person is generally prohibited except for ensuring proper disposal or to return to the registrant. So basically, growers, if you have it in stock, you use what you use it. Uh, but uh, if you don't use it all, it's got to go back to, uh, to your retailer for, for handling and, and disposal. And that growers and commercial applicators can use existing stocks that were in their possession as of June 3rd. Use, though, must be consistent with the product's previously approved label and may not continue after July 31st. So regardless of what state level or state labels may have said in terms of your application window, uh, July 31, all the windows are closing if they haven't already closed. Well, 
I think we're going to uh, to wrap our discussion up here. Uh, I think we've talked to uh, I've talked to a couple of, of state weed specialists here in the last 24 hours, uh, and and quite honestly, they are all updating their recommendations for dicamba use uh, through July 31, uh, as well, well as taking a look at uh, any needed revisions to programs they may have uh, featuring glufosinate and any other labeled products. Uh, Stanley Culpepper, who's an extension weed specialist in, in Georgia, basically said, uh, this has certainly been a wake up call uh, in several ways that uh, number one, we've, everybody's got to work together even harder, making sure that uh, we've got sound science in place to make sure this type of situation doesn't happen again. And second, for those few growers who really have kind of downplayed the importance of uh, following the label and, and using pesticides wisely, and, and I emphasize few, because uh, the majority of growers have done a great job, but either way, this is really kind of a warning sign in terms of, of what may happen, because uh, chances are this, this is not gonna be the only action we're gonna see uh, as, as we move through the year. But anyway, Frank, any other comments on this? I'll just add that, you know, in the conversations with Wes Briggs in Georgia, um, he, he kind of echoed that and, and talked about really the good job that the growers he works with and growers in Georgia had done stewarding mm -hmm. the dicamba to, to avoid any of these drift problems. And, and he specifically gave a shout out to Stanley for all the work he's done there to, to help in that regard and education and keeping growers out in front on it. Well, I think it's a shout out also to all of the state extension specialists because everybody has had program training programs in place. They've got their own the recommendations for use in, in their states. And, and again, I think the vast, vast majority of growers uh, in all areas have been doing a great job in, uh, in shepherding this, this technology. Anyway, I want to thank, uh, thank Jackie for joining us on this. And uh, we're going to move ahead at this point with, uh, with other segments. Frank? Yeah, let's take a look at crop progress. We're getting there. We're we're kind of running out of runway too, but we're we're getting closer. The June seven uh, USDA report showed us at seventy eight percent planted, and that's up by twelve percent in the past week, but still running a tad bit behind the five year average at three uh, three percent uh, behind that average. Uh, good good progress was made, but only three states are now ahead of the average. Uh, we have squaring already, even though some people are uh, still planting, but about 13% of the crop is squaring. Uh, crop condition is 43% good to excellent. That's down by 4% from the previous week. 44% uh, fair, that's about the same. And 13% poor to very poor, and that's up by about 5% from the previous week. In other news, Delta Apparel, a leader, leading provider of activewear, has joined the Cotton Leads program. And that just shows they're, they're committed to ongoing uh, sustainability practices with their U.S. and Australian uh, cotton grower partners. The uh, Cotton Leads is an alliance between Australia and U.S. industry organizations to promote sustainability and traceability throughout the supply chain and gives cotton users and uh, textile mills and brands confidence that, that these practices are occurring. There are more than 600 partner companies in the LEADS program currently. That's great. Okay. Uh, thank you, Frank. And uh, 
with that, we're going to move ahead to our market segment and, and let somebody else do some talking so, uh, so people won't get uh, feel like we're, we're dominating the discussion. Uh, today, we're going to visit with Jim Nunn. Jim is owner of Nunn Cotton Company in Brownsville, Tennessee. And lest we forget that we're still operating under COVID-19 guidelines, I wanted to visit with Jim to find out how this pandemic has impacted the cotton marketing segment of the industry. Uh, Jim has visited with us before. He is a fellow Tennessee volunteer, and, uh, and he always has insight into the world trade situation. So let's go to that interview with Jim right now. Welcome to this episode's market segment. Today, we're gonna to talk about some of the impacts of COVID-19 on the cotton marketing segment of the industry, among other things. And I'm joined today by Jim Nunn, who's owner of Nunn Cotton Company in Brownsville, Tennessee, and a good neighbor of everyone uh, here in the West Tennessee area. Jim, thanks for being with us today. Jim, thank you and Tyler for inviting me to do that. I think it's safe to say that uh, the cotton market was already feeling a little puny before COVID-19 hit in a big way. And, and certainly once it did, I hope you've been safe and, and you've been, been able to continue business as close to usual as possible. What kinds of impacts have you seen in the market uh, and maybe among your business contacts and, and certainly with your business? Well, I think the first thing that, I, that I've seen is more risk aversion by the merchants. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, and then with the farmers that were holding crops when the, when the market co collapsed so much, uh, you know, they were affected by this $100 bail drop too, not only in the value of the commodity, but also in their mental health. Sure. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing that the, the CFAP uh, program is going to help those farmers who were holding cotton and other crops too, but the 19 cent allocation to cotton farmers ends up being a max of 3.8 cents when factoring in the 50% of the inventory mm -hmm. allowed on how many pounds and then the 80% advance and then it's no guarantee that they'll get the other 20%. So, you know, the farmers are going to have some help with their, you know, many of them feel like they're not going to be made whole right. on what they actually lost. Uh, there are lots of issues with merchants uh, about cancellation, defaults, and delays. I've had conversation with uh, foreign buyers about what they should expect in regards to merchants' charges on carrying charges. Uh, in many markets, as we know, uh, they were basically shut down for the past three months in, in India, for example. Uh, the Bangladeshi Garment Association applied a contact to the International Cotton Association for consideration in regards to forced emerge, uh, but the ICA said their contracts would not allow that if mills defaulted, claiming forced emerge, they would be taken to arbitration. And many mills across the world are worried about this, and what I'm told uh, they're working harder to make arrangements to perform on their contracts in the face of cancellation, delays, and defaults from their buyer customers. Mm -hmm. What kind of adjustments can they make? Well, they'll just, uh, most of them are asking for delays. Okay. Uh, I've had, you know, a couple of customers, uh, merchant customers tell me that, that they've had a, a mail call and asked them to discount the letter of credit two or three cents. Uh, and they'll go ahead and open it. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't see much of that happening. I, I, I don't think, I think that the, the, the strength of an ICA arbitration uh, award is so strong in international markets that, that, that uh, these mills are going to have to perform in the face of having defaults on what they're trying to sell. Right. Those different things, you know, I think that uh, 
everyone felt better when the market rallied back from 48 cents to 58 cents. But, you know, I think that uh, the trade uh, and the and the mills would like to see the market go back up. You know, if the cotton prices rose, the, the yarn prices would go mm -hmm. up too. Now, we've seen a lot of buying recently in the last couple of weeks from China on this. Is, are they, uh, what are, are they, the, are they restocking their, uh, you know, their reserves or are they just taking advantage of, of some low cotton prices right now to get some cotton over there to, uh, to have ready? Well, the, the, the merchants I speak to, uh, to a person will tell you that none of the, the trades are, are going to uh, any of the Chinese government uh, agencies. They're all going to private traders. Okay. The belief is that the, that cotton will be headed to the reserve at some point in time. And, and part of the, uh, the reason that, that uh, we've seen such a volume of it is, is that with these lower prices, with prices dropping back into the low, mid, and now upper 50s, uh, that the Chinese can buy cotton a whole lot cheaper than they could six months ago, uh, 12 months ago, and they can fulfill some of the, the uh, dollar requirements that are in phase one. But, right. uh, you know, we're starting to, to, to hear rumblings out of the White House over the way China is, is acting in Hong Kong on top of how they uh, treated the uh, Muslim Uyghurs in, in, in Western China with uh, stories of concentration camps, slave labor, things like that. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that the White House may come out with something this weekend. And we're seeing, uh, you know, that the UK, uh, Canada, and Australia have joined together in, in, in protesting some of the things and, and going on in China as well. So, uh, you know, I think most people, I know everybody on the business side wants things to go through, but uh, apparently in, in China, the, the party runs everything mm -hmm. and not the country. Looking at, um you, you mentioned something about the CPAF program just a minute ago. And, and with, with this is one in a series of, of COVID-19 relief packages that, that growers have received. What did, when these things are announced, what types of things or services are you having to do to sort of an, a value added thing for your, for the clients that you work with? I spent three days last week trying to understand and figure out this program and mm -hmm. customers would call and ask questions. And, you know, I talked with, you know, people, uh, farm service, uh, the cotton council, other industry groups trying to find out exactly how it figured, you know, you would figure one way and it came out to this and then you'd see somebody else's math and it came out to that or, but you know, it was, it was confusing and still is someone will come in and I'll explain it to them and they'll look at me like, you know, you're talking in another language, <laughs> you know, a lot of our farm programs, you know, are based on, uh, 93 and a half percent of a payment at an 85% rate. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised with some of the, mm -hmm. uh, the math they do in here, but, but, you know, farmers calling asking to find out, you know, if they're eligible, what they're eligible to own. And, uh, you know, many, uh, the first questions are, did I have any cotton left to sell after January 15th? Right. And, uh, so, you know, the last week we've been going back through, I've been going back through, uh, my purchase book invoices, trying to put together things for growers, you know, so they can, uh, uh, either go online and have numbers to turn into USDA or they've made uh, you know, an appointment at the, the, their FSA office to go in and do it there. Mm -hmm. And Jim, I'm going to tell you, it was confusing trying to figure this whole thing oh, out. I, I don't doubt that at all. It's probably more like common core math at this point. Well, you know, it's, it's still confusing when, and after you, you know what you're talking about. And, uh, but uh, <laughs> I think, you know, people at the gens, you know, people in my line of business, you know, we've, we've tried to be on the front lines to, to explain things to people so they can understand and get, you know, if we can help them supply them with materials, 
you know, help them as well. And, you know, the complicated thing is when you get in there and you, you, you're, you're carrying some inventory, but it's a certain percentage of what you had to, you know, left to sell. And if it's more than 50%, you're only going to be paid on mm-hmm. 50% of your total production. And, and in some of those things, it's, it, it gets pretty confusing and it's uh, difficult to, to, to figure things out. And of course, uh, many of the, the marketing co-ops and pools, you know, they, they've had to go back and, and, and come up with a figure for, for their, their growers. So they can, you know, how many, how much of uh, the cotton that was delivered to the pool or to the co-op, you know, was actually marketed by January 15th. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those people are now they've got to go back through uh, and allocate out what percentage is and then go and, and apply for that. And probably the most confusing thing for a lot of people is how the landlords are going to handle this stuff too. And, and uh, you know, I have one customer uh, in West Tennessee that has about 60 farms. Okay. And to his, his credit, you know, he sold out before uh, the market crashed. And, uh, but I'm just thinking about the, the difficulty he would have trying to explain to, to uh, most of his, his, his land is rented on the share, all those different landlords and trying to, to do the thirds and the fourths. And then he's got, you know, shares on, you know, uh, uh, two and three different landlords on the farm and, you know, having to go through all that. So it's, it's, it's a pretty big uh, job paperwork wise to go through this thing and, 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 and simply confusing too. Well, I guess it's a good, it's a good thing that they, uh, the application window is for this program has, has been stretched out over almost two months. Now registration opened on, on May 26. How quickly are, are what, what are you hearing from growers? How quickly are they wanting to get into FSA to, uh, you know, to, to get their application squared away? Well, um, I had some customers yesterday uh, who went into one of the smaller cotton counties uh, and, and made their applications. I know some people have, have gone online to apply. Uh, a grower was in here this afternoon getting some invoices, and mm-hmm. he said that the county office people had told him that, you know, uh, you know, it's a self-administrated program. You just tell them what you have. They, they click it and uh, they fill it in. And, you know, I feel like they'll come back and do some audits on some people. But if a grower is going to apply for these, these programs, it'd be best that he, 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 whatever he applied for, he keep those records at hand mm-hmm. in a place in case he does get an audit. You know, they may do a, a 2% audit. They may do a 10% audit. They may not, they may do two out of a thousand. I don't know. But uh, I, I keep all this stuff together uh, just in case somebody comes and looks and then, they, you know, they can show it to them and move on. Sure. But, you know, they, they may not do anything. Mm-hmm. We don't know what they're going to well, do. Well, and, and, and I think that's part of it, too. That it's the old uh, details yet to be determined yeah. uh, line that you that you see in all the announcements. Change, shifting gears just a little bit. I know, you know, here for the last uh, last two months or so, everybody's been, you know, trying to shelter at home and work remotely. And. And I know from your business, you you pretty much have a, a pretty a, a small operation. It's you and and in uh, an office, uh, but most of us have had to make some changes and adjustments in terms of getting used to using Skype and and Zoom and other you know social uh, social programs like that. What kind of how has how has this changed? What kind of things are have you had to make uh, changes? Have you had to make in in your day to day operations? Well. I come to the office every day. I bring my two dogs with me and, uh, you know, I have all my stuff here and, you know, I have a few people come by, uh, to pick up something. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, I haven't locked my door. I've had two people wandering off the street and, uh, I've run them <laughs> off. 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, being in my business, I do, you know, I haven't made any farm visits, gone by any gins or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have gone, you know, to, to a couple of offices and gotten some loan information from a producer. Uh, the, the disbursement dates on the loans, things we needed to to have in our possession to mm-hmm. uh, sell these this cotton in the loan. But you know, I'm at the office every day. Uh, I pick up lunch, pick up breakfast, and like that. And and we're starting seeing Brownsville that is coming back to life a little bit. Restaurants are open. Mm-hmm. You know, capacity is about half of what uh, uh, what you'd usually see. Right. But what I'm seeing on my side is that I'm here. You know, I can't, you know, the gins, there's, there's somebody at the gin if you need something uh, sent to you. But uh, it's been a little more of a logistic challenge on, uh, on, on the selling side because everybody's at home. And, uh, uh, every, of course, everyone is set up. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have access to the things you have in the office, it makes it a little more difficult. And I know it's not, that's, that's true in these farm service agency offices. You know, they go in one day a week. And I know one lady in one of the FSA offices does the cotton loan stuff. And she said she had to go in, sneak in, is the word she used, so she could get a few things there because she said, I don't have all the, my materials mm-hmm. at home. She said, I do have a printer. I can do this. And and what we found, too, early on in this thing, uh, before we really started trading any, any cotton, is that uh, everyone was sent home. So it took a little while to get some of the kinks out of uh, mm-hmm. payments, uh, making uh, deliveries on contracts or, or sales. And then uh, the cotton companies, you know, redeeming cotton from the loan uh, right. through uh, uh, COPS or through an LSA, they had a few more steps to jump through and plus mm-hmm. and, and, and sending money back and forth too. It's, it took a little while for everyone to get used to that. The biggest change, you know, with the, that I spent a lot of time with people on is, you know, the market goes down and these guys still holding crop are looking at, you know, 30 to $50 uh, drops in the value of their cotton and, you know, and it was having an effect on them. You know, what am I going to do for 2020? How am I going, am I going to be able to pay out on 2019? Mm-hmm. Because I was holding on this stuff. And most people, you know, back in January felt like the phase one uh, trade deal was going to go through and, uh, and that China would be buying some of our products. And then, you know, lo and behold, here we are uh, into May and, you know, the white house is threatening, you know, uh, to make some, you know, some, some political, uh, changes, you know, in China, you know, because of Hong Kong and, and, and the COVID, uh, coronavirus and, and, and uh, uh, the, the Uyghur Muslims. And so, you know, what's, we're going to have a replay of, of last May we, when, when June opens up. Nobody knows. So we'll wait and see. And, and all that's, you know, uh, adding to the pessimistic feel out there in, 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 in uh, the country, as well as, you know, in trade circles. On, you know, are the Chinese this, you know, 1.2, 1.4 million bales they bought. Right. Are they going to perform on that? And on some of those contracts that are sitting there right now that haven't been shipped, you know, are, are those contracts still going to be honored or, or canceled? Well, that's that's the key. And, you know, and with the market going up, probably what's happened on some of the these contracts left over from 2018, 2019, they still may be hanging out there. And, uh, you know, and, and these lower price contracts are being used as, you know, as an averaging tool. you know, they may, they may pay for uh, nine cargoes at this price and then uh, one cargo at the high price and they'll work that off. I know some, that's what some merchants did uh, back in the 2011 crisis. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, I think the uncertainty is still hanging out there and apparently the stock market didn't worry at all about it. You know, we may, you know, back over 25,000 in a strong way and, 
you know, it may keep going. Who knows? But I'm sure that it's going to be watching what happens this weekend coming out of the White House. Absolutely. Watching and, and speaking of watching what's going on right now, I know that planting is uh, is trying to wrap up uh, here in the Mid-South and certainly in other parts of the country as well. Uh, USDA back in March, you know, proclaimed that we we're going to get 13 million cotton acres this year. I'm, I've got to guess that there's got to be a more realistic number than that at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, we're never really going to know what the intended acres would have been uh, in the Mid-South if we'd had a typical normal planting season. Mm-hmm. It certainly would have been larger than what is actually gone in the ground, growing in the ground. Uh, we're seeing farmers now throughout the North Delta uh, area struggling to finish planting this month you know right. and, you know we hear talk that people will go to may 35th or may 36th i don't think we'll have any may 40th cotton with the some of the insurance programs i think uh, we're going to see a large larger than normal or maybe a really large number of preventive planting on cotton acres and uh you know we, we were looking at maybe a month ago seeing some some corn acres switched into cotton that probably hadn't happened i think at the end of the day the five Mid-South states will probably end up planting 1.6 to 1.7 million acres compared to 2.4 last year. Mm-hmm. And I think the actual planted acreage number will be somewhere around 12.5 to 12.7 million acres. But, you know, the key is going to be what we get, right. what will be harvested. Right. Well, we'll, you know, we'll get that planted report here at the end of June from USDA, and that will certainly, you know, tell a, a big portion of the story. But again, as usual, it all comes down to what will happen between now and harvest. Uh, as to what our crop will actually look like. Jim, I'm going to uh, cut us off at, uh, right here, and, and I appreciate you you joining us again. Hey, thank you, Jim Tyler. Appreciate y'all calling me. Always, uh, always good insight, and uh, we'll plan to visit again with you soon. Okay. Y'all have a good day. See you. Go balls. <laughs> Here's the rest of the Cotton Companion. All right. Many thanks to Jim Nunn for his time and, and certainly to our producer, Tyler Hatch, for recording the interview. I think you got a little credit in there, too, Tyler. Well, that's it. Another episode of Cotton Companion is in the can. Uh, thanks again to Jackie Pucci and Jim Nunn for joining us. As always, we want to thank uh, Phytogen for sponsoring us. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us once again. And let your cotton grower friends know about us. And here's a way you can find us. You can go to cottongrower.com front slash companion. Add that front slash after .com and you'll find us. Uh, You can subscribe to our our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. Or sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, Cotton Grower e-news. And that'll hit your mailbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that uh, by going to cottongrower.com front slash subscribe. And also be sure to follow us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching Cotton Grower Magazine. Our latest issue of the May-June Cotton Grower print issue is at the printer and should be in your hands very soon. And, uh, and watch that mailbox closely because actually I got a copy yesterday. Oh, very nice. I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, this podcast is produced by Tyler Hatch, who's our colleague at Meister Media Worldwide. Up, uh, up north in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Jim Stedman. I'll be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. So for now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Frank Giles, we wish you all the best and stay safe.
Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of the Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. <laughs>